politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And yes, welcome back, fellow patriots, to a brand new year here at the Conservative Review podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house, eager to get back in front of this microphone to continue our daily saga of telling the truth, um, of standing up for the forgotten American citizens. I know so many of, so many of you have been chomping at the bit, just like me, um, to get back to work. And uh, it's it's tough, you know, for my end going this long without, you know, w- without this daily town hall that we have. I don't, I don't think I could recall over the last number of years ever going this long without a show, even when we were just audio and certainly now with video. But I hope those of you who uh, were tuning in did get a chance to see our daily articles at Conservative Review. If you noticed, I did not take off much time, even though the show was on hiatus. Um, We've had a lot of articles, uh, probably about a dozen heavy-duty topics, heavy-duty topics on a vision on foreign policy, a vision on crime, a vision on refugee resettlement. Uh, So many issues going on that really culminated reached its climax towards the end of 2019 and now in this new year this new decade those issues are in play there's a need for a voice a vision and that's what we're here for to give that 2020 vision on the important public policy issues that affect us what is the job of government what's the job of the federal government what's the job of local government What are the things we could do legislatively? What are the things we could influence the Trump administration to do through the executive branch? What are the reforms that need to be made in terms of properly defining the power of the most dangerous branch of government, the judicial branch? What's going on in the states as a number of state legislatures begin their annual sessions or biannual sessions? These are all things I hope to cover as well as primary elections to the extent we have a couple of them to actually elect a handful of Republicans that actually support values that are alternative to the prevailing elitist views of the political class. And these are all things you're not going to get elsewhere. You know, it's funny. In some ways, I actually enjoyed the last week and a half or so because things were quiet, but the little news there was was actually more substantive than it's been for the entire year. Because the whole impeachment stuff was kind of on hiatus for a while. So there was a little bit of a national discussion on crime. We're going to get into the stuff going on in New York, but really all across America with these violent attacks. The issue that we defined and identified early on for about five years, but really I think we've honed in on in 2019, the fact that we are losing two decades worth of gains against crime. One of the core jobs of government is to protect our liberty so we can walk the streets safely. That is unraveling every day. And I predicted this would reach a climax, and I think now you all see that. This will be the year, I predict, 
where this issue is broken wide open. But we need that vision. Who's going to offer it? Well, no one's going to offer it. And that's why we need to build this movement together. Those of you who are tuning in for the first time, you know, starting a New Year's resolution to tune into this show, well, you're not going to be disappointed because the content and the perspective you're going to hear from he, from this show is something very different than you're going to hear anywhere else. And it's not just because we don't have a true conservative vision. Even those of you that might not consider yourself conservatives will appreciate something that's not dyed in the wool party politics. You know, Stuart P. Stevens, he was Mitt Romney's campaign man- manager. He wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post. And he said that the Republican Party is a party without a governing theory. Higher purpose or moral direction is nothing more than a syndicate that exists only to advance itself. Has no coherent purpose other than acquisition and maintenance of power. Ironically, I agree with his words, although for the exact opposite of his intent. He's referring to Trump, and he's saying basically Trump turned the Republican Party into what he was describing, a party without a vision, a party that just seeks to maintain power. Really, he's describing the party that he was a part of under Mitt Romney and all these um, do-nothing Republicans that led to the ascendancy of Trump. Now, as we've said many times throughout the old year, I was about to say this year, I still can't believe it's 2020, but as we've said, noted many times, if anything, Trump is more of an opportunity. He is willing to listen to ideas that are considered out of the box relative to the political class, but in reality, they're mainstream to any thinking person. The problem is because the existing party is just as broken as it was when Mitt Romney was the Republican presidential nominee in 2012. Nothing really has changed. Very little has changed. And a lot of things continue to get worse. And we're going to look for those opportunities to continue making a difference. So where do we start in this new year? Just over this last week and a half, there were a couple of down days that were awfully quiet. But man, there's been a lot going on. The violence, the crime, the rise of anti-Semitism, the sacking of our embassy in Baghdad, 15, now 15 or 16 Republican governors requesting refugees in the deepest of red states. As I warned at the end of last year, these are things that we could influence. So many things that you hear on this show, you will be the first ones hearing about it. A lot of things that we talked about with the cartels, with the drug crisis, with the immigration crisis, the border crisis. The breakdown of criminal justice in this country and the harmful nature of this stealth but relentless movement in both parties called criminal justice reform, which is really a jailbreak, criminal deform, pro-criminal movement. We were the first to warn about it. We were pretty much a movement of one on that issue. And now it has broken wide open in New York as the clock struck uh, 12.01 a.m. yesterday morning. Bail is abolished for most criminals in New York. Thousands of criminals will be retroactively released. There is no deterrent against crime anymore in New York, but not just in New York, in Oklahoma, in Alaska, 
red states that are run by Koch brother phony liberal Republican politicians. The same Republican politicians that can't get enough Middle Eastern refugees divided along clan and gang and sectarian lines that foment the very violence in the Middle East that they're supposedly leaving, yet bringing to our shores. But one of the breakthroughs for me of 2019 was you. The interaction that you have had with me at RM Conservative on Twitter, we've had a very active Twitter uh, cycle the last week, week and a half, even though we've been off. Um, email me at dharowitz at Blaze Media. The stories that you share with me from your local areas that kind of prove the veracity of some of the themes and theses of this show, whether it's criminal stories, illegal alien stories, again, things that are not going to be talked about, not just in the so-called mainstream media, but in conservative media. Who is going to be that voice for the victim of crime? So I want to start off with what was going on in New York. Obviously, the the dual attacks, that attack on um, that rabbi's home in uh, Rockland County, New York, which occurred uh, a day before the attack on a church outside of Fort Worth, Texas, where two people were killed, but thankfully not more, because an amazing hero got up there, took a headshot, or delivered a headshot at 50 feet, um, one shot with a SIG P229. And that's another thing I want to do um, this year. I'm going to try to get advertisers and anyone who works in the gun industry, um, accessories or guns themselves. I'll, I'll advertise your guns. I'll do full reviews, five-minute reviews of guns because this is something we really need to do. We need to arm ourselves even more um, that's one of my New Year's resolutions. If my wife is okay spending all that money um, trying to get law enforcement trade-ins, use guns, because I can't afford uh, the $1,000 SIGs, but uh, that, that is something we all need to do uh, because you certainly can't count on government to protect us. So let's start off with crime. And, and you know, again, there's crime, there's the courts, and I want you to scroll down at conservativereview.com our uh, list of articles, you could click on my name, you could see chronological order, in chronological order, all of the articles I put out, again, even, even about a dozen of them just over this down period, very foundational, important articles, um, issue after issue that I think we need to cover, we're going to cover, we're going to demand action, we're going to demand action on behalf of the law-abiding peaceful American taxpayer that doesn't want his culture redefined and adulterated by irresponsible immigration policies. He doesn't want the burden of paying for it, of paying for the rope to hang himself. Well, I had that story a couple days ago here in Maryland with more. This wasn't MS-13. It was 18th Street gang members committing murder who are resettled as refugees called Unaccompanied Alien Children, UACs, <clears throat> on taxpayer dime. And yet these Republican governors are demanding more refugees. So there's a lot of issues that I don't have enough time to unwind two weeks worth of material, week and a half worth of material in one day, and we're going to slowly dig out of this. we got to talk about Iraq and a lack of a vision there 
what is it we're doing there, the mistakes we've made there, and we have to acknowledge those mistakes in order to rectify it, not just react to the sacking of the embassy. Oh, let's get a talking point. Trump's better than Obama in responding to Benghazi. You know, what are we doing in Iraq to begin with? That's the question we need to answer. Because here we are about civilization outcomes. We're not about ephemeral daily talking points. So crime. There's a lot of discussions about anti-Semitism. So I think a lot of you have seen this. Those of you that paid attention to the news, this really, it's really kind of reached a feverish pitch with the Jersey City attack, the attack in Rockland County, and then just all of these daily kind of knockout assaults um, that are exclusively um, perpetrated by African Americans living in in New York City, Brooklyn, places like that, um, where um, these Hasidic Jews are are being attacked in particular. And a lot of them, it's now come out, you know, they've said effing Jew or Jew this. So it's not just, you know, a mugging or something like that. So there's a lot of questions about, you know, are we experiencing this dark trend that has been endemic of Europe for quite some time? Is that has that crept into America? Is there a trend the last year or two or three or four of growing anti-Semitism in this country? I'm actually going to surprise you as someone who is a practicing religious Jew myself. I don't think fundamentally there is more anti-Semitism than there was before. And I don't say that to minimize the problem. I say that to actually demonstrate it's worse than a lot of people think. But I don't think what is happening now is the result of anti-Semitism. I think it is the result of what people are starting to realize, the jailbreak public policy that is ensuring that A, bad guys in the largest numbers we've seen since the 70s and 80s are left on the streets, and B, there is less of a deterrent than ever before for new criminals. So the same reason you're seeing more anti-Semitic attacks is the same reason you're seeing more attacks on churches, the same reason you're seeing more subway violence, the same way you're seeing more attacks on cops. It's all happening at the same time. It's because all of the bad dudes that existed, whatever their motivation was, was it whatever, whether it was petty crime, whether it was assaults, whether it was psychotic mass shooters, whether it is motivated by a particular hatred for a group of people, white supremacism, black supremacism, anti-Semitism, that potential that existed before is going kinetic. So, just a brief word on the anti-Semitism before we parlay into the jailbreak, which is really what's going on now. So there's a dirty little secret. And on this show, we don't sugarcoat things. The left likes to talk about white supremacism, neo-Nazis, as if there's tons of them. There aren't. Now, as we've painfully seen, you know, whether you're an Islamic terrorist, whether you're a white supremacist terrorist, whether you're this type of terrorist, 
it only takes one to wreak a lot of havoc. And we certainly saw that with the guy um, who shot up the Pittsburgh synagogue last year. But the reality is, for every one of those, might I say, there are probably hundreds of black supremacist anti-Semitic individuals. That is a dirty little secret that is not new. And it's not just in New York. Um, it's here where I live. There's a large Jewish community um, in and outside of Baltimore, Maryland. Uh, very large. And there's also a large black area, black areas. And by no means is this a majority of African-Americans in this country. And in fact, you do have an element of particularly the more religious ones that take their Christianity seriously that are philo-Semitic. But there is a not insignificant minority that has been around for a while that subscribes to the Farrakhan Sharpton mentality. The Jews, you know, did this, the Jews did that. It's essentially the anti-white sentiment on steroids, basically. So all their grievances against whites, they'll view the Jews living in their areas as super white in regard to their erroneous and ill-conceived grievances. And that has been around for a long time, and it's been covered up by the media. And now it, it can't be covered up anymore. It is very common. Um, again, it's not a majority. On the flip side, there's, there's very much philo-Semitic African-Americans in this country, and I've certainly run across them. But I must say that certainly in my lifetime as an openly practicing uh, Jew, I have only experienced anti-Semitism on a personal level um, from non-whites. Let's just say that um, that is just a reality. Maybe that has not been everyone's experience, but for most people, I know that has been their experience. It's not just in New York and it's not just this year. This has been a problem for a very long time. Um, one of the major conservative talk radio show hosts in Baltimore, he actually some of you who are fans of Mark Levin might have heard him over the years. Tom Marr from WCBM here, 680 AM. He, uh, for many years, filled in for Mark Levin when he was away, and he passed away at an untimely death uh, from complications of surgery. He was way too young. I don't even know if he was 70. A couple of years ago, he passed away. Uh, may his memory be blessed. But he, he actually would say on the airwaves here openly that you know there is a problem in some of the black areas in Baltimore. There is a Jew problem. And I gave him a lot of credit. He was willing to say that publicly. Um, but it is it's undeniable. What has changed is what I'm telling you is affecting everything else. And that is. The fact that quietly but relentlessly. Both parties. Mainly the Democrats, but with the help of Republicans in a lot of areas have dismantled. Everything that Ronald Reagan and the people on a local level that followed him did in the 80s that spawned the greatest, most positive social change, one of the few positive so social changes of our lifetime, the two decade long miraculous decline in crime. They have dismantled that. And people forget, people have forgotten what it's like 
what it was until the early 90s. And how from the late 60s on, for two decades, crime was inexorably going up and up and up. And, and that seemed to be the new normal. Until we actually started with aggressive policing, better technology, locking people up. And we took the bad guys off the streets. A lot of that had to do with the gun, with the drug laws, a little bit gun laws, too. Um, but drug laws. Because a lot of the bad guys were into that, and that's how they caught them. But as we have noted. Depending on the city and state. Over the last five to 12 years, they have quietly. Dismantled that and really accelerating the last two to three years and now culminating particularly in New York with a whole series of laws going into effect, just dismantling the criminal justice system at every level. It is taking its toll. It has taken its toll. It takes a few years. We started to see it in 2015, 2016 with the uniform crime data for the first time in 20 years, crime turning back up. And now it, it is undeniable. So all this potential you know, let's say all the people that hated Jews in Brooklyn, New York. And again, exclusively blacks, a little bit, some cases were Hispanics that I've read about zero whites, by the way. That has now gone kinetic. But it's not again, whatever your motivation is for harming someone, for attacking someone, for committing a crime. It's open season. A lot of you might have seen the viral article from the New York Post of Tiffany Harris, this woman who assaulted um, these three or so um, religious Jewish women that were just minding their own business. And she was let out because the new uh, anti-bail law let out without the need to post bail. And she was arrested twice again. She was let out committed an assault and then, you know, let out and was arrested again a third time. And everyone's everyone's laughing about this. You know, oh, my gosh, it's crazy. Universally, certainly anyone right of center. But I think even even some of the more um, liberal uh, publications are recognizing this. Yeah, I don't know what it is. My ugh, the kids are just home today. So anyway, I apologize if you hear noise in the background. Um, this is this is what it is when I record for my home studio. But anyway, um, a lot of people are looking at this and thinking, oh, my gosh, this is de Blasio. This is Cuomo. This is crazy New York. This is, you know, this is something that's totally unhinged. And I keep telling people, I'm like, do you understand Republicans support this? And people look at me, Daniel, which Republican? Come on, come on. No Republican supports this. I'm like, dude, I have the battle scars to show it. I've been in rooms with movement conservatives, meetings with movement conservatives where I'm the last man standing giving the Reagan position on crime. Now, what they'll often do is, say, well, I don't support going this far. But that's nonsense. They support and give aid and comfort to the underlying premise that we lock up too many people and we have a, an over incarceration problem when we have a woeful under incarceration problem. 
And it, it's one after another. They're pushing and pushing. And nobody, nobody is, is holding them accountable. It was remarkable. The Daily Caller a couple months ago did an interview with that guy who ran as an independent um, in the prosecutor's race in Fairfax County, Virginia. And the guy was like, he said something to the effect of, I'm shocked that Republicans don't make a bigger issue of this. Well, the reason is because they support it. This needs to be the year where we have a vision on crime. I speak to people in my in my neighborhood and. The, and that's outside of Baltimore, where it's, you know, we just set the record for for highest murders per capita, broke the record from 1993 before the crime bubble popped um, of murders in, in the city. And I mean, I live in the county, but the county also had pretty close to I don't know if it was a record, but certainly the murders uh, went up in Baltimore County. But. People even here, they're unaware. They're like, really? Because I was telling people about synagogue security, church security. And I was just talking about different strategies with that. And because uh, you know, we have to get around the whole issue here where very few people could get a license to carry in this communist state of Maryland, where uh, only criminals are allowed to carry and avoid jail time. And a lot of people don't realize it's not like the advertised. We are cutting the prison population by 30 percent. We are letting out robbers. We're 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 you know abolishing bail. We're you know not sentencing people anymore. We're going to have murderers who have 10 priors and, and don't serve a day in jail. They didn't advertise that the New York bill passed. As part of a budget bill, it wasn't a standalone bill. The most earth shattering criminal justice changes of a generation. There's no transparent debate. The first step act at a federal level, it was passed on the last day of a session headed into a government shutdown under suspension with no debate. And it wasn't even put on the calendar under name. Typically, typically, when you have a polarized country, when one side wants to do something extremely controversial, transformative, revolutionary, there's an equal and opposing force vociferously opposing that. So that banter back and forth generates a relentless and consistent news cycle. And then you have saturation level media on it and people find out about it and people weigh in and have an opinion on it. <clears throat> But what has happened is because we have a unibrow, I got a little bit of a unibrow, so I can relate, a unibrow party where the Republicans and the Republican donors and so-called conservative think tanks and these libertarians support jailbreak just as passionately as Soros and the left do. So they just allow them to do it. Now, I know in some of the deep blue states where it's total one party rule, the Republicans in the legislature often voted against this, but it's more like, yeah, you guys went too far. They didn't passionately oppose it, and also they don't have power, so there's nothing like a Republican minority without any power. They're, they're usually more righteous. They'll just vote against everything that the left is doing. When they're in power, they'll enable everything the left is doing and downright promote it. So that's the real story here. It's jailbreak. 
You look at this guy, this um Thomas guy, who uh who killed uh, um he I don't think anyone died yet. One one uh, one I believe is brain dead, but um injured about five people at that rabbi's house in Muncie, New York. That guy, it turned out, he had like nine priors. Assaults. Um weapons charges i have his criminal record barely served a day then you go down to the texas shooting everyone's focusing on the hero um and and rightfully so who who shot the guy dead a good guy with the gun is the solution but what's the problem problem is certainly not guns the problem is the lack of criminal control. You might think, oh, this is New York. This was in Texas. Actually, it was Texas, Oklahoma, and Arizona. I pieced together his criminal record earlier this week. He had at least a dozen arrests, about four aggravated assault convictions, including weapons violations. Didn't serve a day in jail. Sorry, it's not accurate. He had one 90-day sentence. Folks, for every one person you could show me where these stupid politicians and people like Mike Lee, who's regarded as the most conservative Republican senator, run around with, oh, they're over-sentenced for junk crimes. I could find you 500 people who are the most violent people, murder, rape, robbery, aggravated assault. Endless. Multiple convictions and they barely serve a day in jail. Remember, we say every year, every year there's hundreds of thousands of crimes. Just, I'm not even talking about drugs or weapons violations. Robbery, murder, rape, aggravated assault. Those four, hundreds of thousands. Every year, we, we, I've read that a number of times from the FBI, are uncleared. They're called uncleared cases. They're unsolved. That doesn't include the hundreds of thousands that are considered solved. If you have a guy that clearly did murder one, but he winds up pleading down to a drug charge and getting probation, that's considered a cleared case. We, I, I, and again, there's endless cases like this. I, I had in an article this guy in Oregon who raped, convicted of rape of three teenagers. He got a sentence of 14 months. And because of the laws there now, he'll be out in half that time. The sentence was 14 months. That's considered a cleared case. And these schmucks want to look us in the eye and say, we have an over-incarceration problem? Are you kidding me? What planet do you live on? That is the story of what is going on in all these things. Almost every one of these. The Jersey City attacker, the Rockland County attacker, the church shooter in Texas. They all have massive criminal records. And they barely served time. If you identify the bad guys and take them off the streets. Like we used to do for two decades. It's a world of a difference. But right now, there's no deterrent.
So you could certainly imagine there's no deterrent even to murder now. You could certainly imagine like the knockout assaults, the street level assaults. There's no deterrent whatsoever. Those people now, I mean, think about it. If you're going to walk the streets now, all these people that want to punch either because they want to play the knockout game, they hate whites, they hate Jews, they hate whatever, um, they want to mug you. They know, A, they're not going to serve jail time on the front end pre-trial. And B, and B, they're not going to be sentenced to jail, to prison time. Oh, and C, in New York, but this is growing in other places too, they now have the disclosure laws. The disclosure laws. Where the, defense, the prosecutor has to give over to the defense the, the witnesses, the victims, all their information. There was already one of these assault cases in New York where the guy didn't want to didn't want to deal with it. Remember, prosecutors will tell you that the biggest impediment to landing a conviction, remember, 90% of cases where it's clear that what they did, they are never convicted commensurate with the level of the crime that they committed. They always plead down. So many severe aggravated assaults resulting in bodily injury are, you know, pled down five levels. Five levels. Public disturbance or something. Um, and they get nothing. That is the rule. The exception is when they actually get jail time or prison time. Commensurate with what they did. Friends, we have a lot of vexing issues. But this is the biggest one in my mind at this point. Certainly it's aggravated by bringing in terrorists, Middle Easterners, foreign nationals, MS-13, the illegal immigration, that's even more than we, it's not enough we have our own, these very same places as sanctuary cities, and we're going to continue talking about all of this. But that's the big thing that everyone's missing. It's jailbreak, and it's not just New York, and not just a particular law. It's an entire culture that and and pressure that has been foisted upon the justice system from every area of the policing of the judges of the prosecutors politicians in all 50 states i have endless cases in texas and particularly bear county um it's san antonio and harris county houston endless cases of jailbreak cop killers there um, violent criminals barely serve time, barely serve time. And my friends, my friends, remember, given that the pendulum has swung all the way back to the criminal's side, you think, all right, now it's no runs, no hits, no errors. Now they're done. No, they're getting started. You speak to the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Oh, the conservative Texas think tank. Brooke Rollins, the former head of it, or policy director, is now in the White House policy shop. If you speak to these people, they will tell you, right now, the current system is too punitive, and we lock up too many people for too long, and it's too mean to the criminal. They will tell you that, much less the Democrats. We need a reckoning. The president needs to relentlessly focus on this. He needs to get back to his roots, on this issue, we need to prod him to do so. 
Every day he needs to tweet out another one of these cases. He has to name and shame them. They already gave up all their leverage with the budget bills. There's a lot you could do on a federal level. Hit them up on federal crimes. Look, look, if you want to go back to no federal involvement in crime, I'm all for it. But give me a break. They're involved in everything now. So I'm not going to unilaterally disarm. I will use the federal statute. See, that's the thing. Like, for example, that guy in Rockland County, um, the feds came in and charged him on a hate crime. Now, look, as conservatives, we don't believe in hate crimes because unlike the left, you do the crime, you do the time. We actually believe in deterring all crime. I don't care what you're animated by. You have the right to hate anyone you want in this country. What you don't have the right to do is act upon it in a physical way and commit a crime. Um, now you do a violent crime, but you know, you, you go see my view is every murder that is on, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt. Murder one should result in the death penalty swiftly within a year. But I also think severe rapes and child rapes and cases like this guy in Rockland where no one has died yet, at least, um, but, you know, they're severely injured and one is they say is likely to be brain dead. I believe that should result in the death penalty. So I don't need a hate crime. I don't care if you did it because you wanted money, because you wanted to kill people, because you hated their religion or their, their race or whatever. Under our system, we would have deterrent and punishment. But nonetheless, now that it's there, I'm glad the feds used it because, frankly, if you leave it up to the New York state, heck, the guy might be out in eight years or something like that. Remember, officially, nobody died. So, you know, it's it's attempted murder and serious bodily injury, aggravated assault. You, you <laughs> look, I mean, there's been plenty of murder ones I've seen in New York that served five years or so. So um, <laughs> don't don't think a guy like this would be put away forever. But anyway. This is the vision that my colleagues are lacking. Already today, they're going to be back to impeachment, impeachment, nonsense. McConnell needs to summarily dismiss it, hold the vote, and done. They gave up their legislative leverage, but we need to move on to the issues. Move on to the issues that matter. At least be a voice for it. And, that, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to be a voice for those that lack a voice. I want to make this more interactive. I want to get involved in some more elections. I'm going to have some of our friends from the Convention of the States on. I know a lot of you, since I mentioned that on our um, final show with Steve Dace uh, two weeks ago, almost two weeks ago, that uh, we have a number of state directors of Convention of States who listen to this show. And some of you uh, have, uh, from several states, have, have emailed me. And I appreciate your emails. And yes, we will work on that. But I do think... As much as I support the Convention of States, I do think the movement needs to be used for other things as well. And one of the things I think they should be used for, and, and again, we didn't get a chance to talk about what's going on in the courts. There's there's a lot to talk about. What's going on um, in, in, in Iraq, a vision on foreign policy. There is one thing I do want to reiterate that we can do, but just before that, my brain, I know, is going very quickly here. I do want to just digress for a moment on 
on the one issue here that I think is important on the courts, just remember, remember this. While Trump gave away all of his legislative leverage, there's no more legislation for the rest of the before the election that's that's going to matter. Executive actions do matter. There is still a lot he could do with his constitutional and statutory statutorily delegated authority to do the right thing on, on an enormous array of issues. Because remember, a lot of bad things were implemented executively. Garbage in, garbage out. So he gave up his legislative leverage. All he has left now is the executive action. That is where his presidency will be rendered moot. If he doesn't finally get on the playing field and meaningfully assert executive power over judicial power grabs. And we're going to, that's another thing we're going to bang away at this year. So I want to make that clear. That is a vision that needs to be had. I'm sick of the talking point. And we have an article out today vividly using one example of the so-called travel ban, vividly explaining why this bean counting of 160 judges appointed by Trump or, you know, uh, conservative Supreme Court is meaningless. The left is winning anyway, and I explain how and why. Once we agree to their game of judicial supremacy. But I want to get back to what we can do, the big issue we, we spoke about in December. Refugee resettlement. Here we had a record year of illegal immigration. Here we have record refugees in all but name only from our own hemisphere. Fiscal, cultural, security, cost, enormous to our communities. Yet it's not enough for these GOP governors. There are now 16 governors that have agreed in the deepest of red states. Because nobody is on the playing field, much like with crime, nobody even knows this ball is in play, that we can make a counterplay, that we could block it. And one after another, in states Trump won by 20, 30, 40 points, they're agreeing. Now the battle moves to counties. Because remember, according to Trump's executive order, let's say the Idaho governor or you know the Oklahoma governor um, agrees to refugee resettlement, you still need that county to sign off on. So the county could reject it. You know, they can't affect other parts of the state, but they could reject it. You guys need to count, uh, at least contact at least your county commissioners. This is, gets a little confusing with mayors and city versus county governors. Start with your county commissioners. State legislatures, some of you have asked me about that. From my understanding, they're, they're irrelevant. It's the governor and then county officials. So state legislators do not have any effect. But we put out an article, um, 16 go Republican governors, Kim Reynolds of Iowa, Doug Ducey of Arizona, Kevin Stitt of Oklahoma, Bill Lee of Tennessee, Doug Berg Bergham of North Dakota, Christy Noem of South Dakota, uh, Chris Sununu of New Hampshire, Gary Herbert, Herbert of Utah, Pete Ricketts of Nebraska, Let's see what else we got here. Jim Justice of West Virginia, a state Trump carried by, you know, carried every single county. Eric Holcomb of Indiana, Phil Scott of Vermont, Charlie Baker, Massachusetts, Mike DeWine of Ohio, Asa Hutchinson of Arkansas, and Brad Little, that's the latest one, from Idaho. Deep, deep red states, with the exception of the few from New England. These are all states Trump carried by the widest of margins. 
this is what happens when you have a movement that is all about getting on Fox News, that's all about talking points and not outcomes. This is how the left wins, even with Trump in power, even when Trump rightfully issued an order that was designed to achieve a good outcome, and it's backfiring. I just want to give you one example of a lack of a movement sacrificing civilization outcomes and real policy achievements at the expense of ephemeral talking points. You know, earlier this week, the big news was the sacking of the embassy in Baghdad. And I want to have a show on me with Dan Steiner, Colonel Dan, to go in more detail. But I did a detailed article, you could look it up, giving a vision for what we should and shouldn't do there. And everyone's focused on the reaction, the reaction to the embassy. And of course, once Iran sends Shiite militias to attack, we need to respond swiftly. I'm not denying that. But nobody is asking, why are we there to begin with? Putting a holistic vision together for the Middle East, what we should and shouldn't do, what we should do more at home, tying back into immigration, how to this day, to this day, Pensacola never happened. The broken Defense Department, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Miley, he's um, promoting more immigration, more special immigrant visas in the defense bill that was just signed before we went on break. They want to bring in more Saudis. They're actually having more gun restrictions on bases on American soldiers, not less. That's what's happening. Invade the world, invite the world. Get involved in the conflicts we shouldn't be at the extent at the expense of the ones we should. Most things in the world don't affect us, but there are a few that do. Iran's piracy in the Persian Gulf, closing the shipping lanes. Why are we looking so weak? They took our naval ship under Obama. We didn't do anything. To this day, nothing affects us in the Middle East other than Iran. The Sunnis have no nation state. Most Sunni governments are actually good now. I mean, as good as they could be, except for Turkey. And, but that's also a lot about immigration. That's all immigration. Don't let them into your country. Don't let them fund the Muslim Brotherhood. It's a Muslim Brotherhood issue. It's a homeland issue. It's an immigration issue. It's not a military and foreign policy issue. Iran is a problem. But because we are in Baghdad, helping, why are we there? Well, the, the, the Hezbollah brigades, the same militias attacking us, are the ones our soldiers worked with. There are flags, Hezbollah brigade flags over M1 Abrams tanks when we helped bail them out of the Sunni insurgency. We, we, we made a mistake. We threw out Saddam, who was the only one who could keep that together as bad as he was. We empowered Iran because the, the Shiite majority, Baghdad's always going to be run by the Shiites. So not only are we attacked by the Iranian Shiites, but then the Sunnis get pissed off and attack us too. Hence, Al-Qaeda in Iraq. Hence, ISIS was born out of that. We're forever on the hook getting beaten up by both sides. So right now, we are not countering Iran in the theater where we can with the means that, as Colonel Dan always says, speaks to our strengths, which is our naval and air superiority. Quadrant off 
kill zones in, in, in the Persian Gulf that you cannot step. We could do that tomorrow. The reason we don't is because we're involved in the land nation building of the Sunni tribes and the Shiite tribes in Baghdad. So ironically, everyone's like, oh, all these phony hawks are like, oh, we need to counter Iran in Iraq. No, you idiots. We're helping them. And then we're caught there in such a precarious way that now that was the whole thing. We we're scared of them attacking our bases. And they did. That's how this whole thing started. They launched rockets at the, Kirk, the base in Kirkuk and we retaliated. And then they went and you know attacked the embassy. That is why the Trump administration has held back from countering Iran in the theater where we need to counter them and where we can. And it doesn't cost much. Speak, use our naval and air assets. Anything on land is tribal warfare. We shouldn't be involved in that. It's not an inherent anti-land war thing. It's just that it happens to be there's nothing to do on in any of these countries. There's no there. It's it, it's so counterintuitive. But anyway, I want to go through that in more long form. But why am I talking about that? What I noticed was what was the conservative Twitter sphere, conservative blogosphere, conservative Fox News talking points. See, look at the difference between Trump uh, reacting, sending in the Marines versus what Obama did in Benghazi. It's true. I don't disagree. But that's not the point. That's a talking point. Give us a vision. Give us a 2020 vision. Not just the year 2020, but a crystal crystal clear policy vision of what we should be doing in the long run stop reacting this is what technology and social media has done to us we just react on a daily basis to a given occurrence current event oh this is this obama did that and and some of it might even be true some are BS talking points. Some are real talking points. This, the juxtaposition to the reaction of Benghazi is true. He responded appropriately, um, sent in the Marines. But the bigger question is, what is a conservative foreign policy? What's an American foreign policy? What are we doing there? How is it not harming us? Not just that we've wasted. We have nothing to show from Iraq other than 5,500 dead, tens of thousands wounded, many really severely limbs missing, PTSD, permanently um, (coughs) disabled. We have nothing to show for it other than the empowerment of Iran. And 200,000 Iraqi refugees we've brought in, equally divided between Sunnis and Shias that often clash on our soil. Think about that. That is the vision for which we need. Or that is the issue for which we need a vision. To solve. Stop with the talking points. So those of you that are tuning in for a new year, I hope you got a little bit of a flavor of our style, our substance, what we want to cover. There's so many opportunities in this year. But I need you to help. I need you to take this to the next level in order to get more advertisers. You know, like I said, I want to do gun reviews. That doesn't work so well over audio. I need you to go to YouTube. I know a lot of you guys hate YouTube, but I need you to go subscribe to the conservative review YouTube channel. Like our videos, drop a comment if you'd like. In addition, 
Go to conservativereview.com, tweet out our articles, Facebook them. Email me at dhorowitz at blazemedia.com. Stories that you see that are being missed, that are important. I, I can't cover everything, but it has been very helpful. Um, I'm sorry if I haven't always given credit. Uh, I get tons of emails, but some of you just know it means a lot to me. Um, I've done a lot of stories based on articles I wouldn't have seen otherwise and stories that you guys have sent me. So you could, you're could you welcome to email me anytime. I can't. I try to respond as much as I can. I can't always guarantee it, um, depending on, on basically where I am, if I'm at my computer at that moment. Uh, but basically, uh, feel free to email me, tweet me at armconservative, and send this and, and all of our shows to all of your relatives and say, look, this is something new. Certainly, if they're conservative, if they don't consider them, themselves conservative, this is something different. And we're going to talk about healthcare. We're going to talk about the debt and what we can do about it. We're going to talk about the proper role of government. What's the role of the three federal branches? What's the role of states and local governments versus the feds? There's certain things, most things should be done at a local level, but there's certain things the federal government does need to do and they need to do well. National security, the border, and local government, crime is the most important thing to deal with. Public safety. And that is the thing that is being dismantled. This, I hope, is going to be the year that we launch the counteroffensive to pursue true, true criminal justice reform for victims of crime, for law-abiding taxpayers, and for law enforcement. And I call upon everyone who, who has a voice or a stake in that to come join our movement. I'm working with some friends that I know that are trying to start a 501c4, finally an organization to combat this. There's millions upon millions of dollars, tons of stories I can talk about, um, you know, with uh, jailbreak, the leniency industrial complex, as I call it. This needs to be a decade where we reverse what I sorrowfully say is a lost decade for conservatism. This past decade, it was, it was, you know, obviously you had Obama, you had, it started with a Tea Party that was really almost a promising movement that was not just fighting back against Obama, but really against the GOP establishment, but it got sucked into the Republican Party, became obsolete. We start a new decade with new opportunities. We need to learn from the mistakes of the past, acknowledge the mistakes of the past, acknowledge and confront the issues that 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 face us particularly as it relates to safety and security at a community level at a national level we're going to tie in all these issues as we've done with a good 2019 i hope to have a better 2020 thanks to your help let's grow this movement let's work together so glad to be back so thankful for this audience thank you for listening god bless until tomorrow This has been another episode of the Conservative Review Podcast.